This morning we're going to talk about something that most people don't really want to talk about. We're going to look at something, but we're, what we're going to look at is not the what I want you to focus on this morning, okay? Uh, we've been talking about the goodness of God, and, and God is good in everything, okay? Because He's good. And one of the areas that, uh, that I have found that people don't like to talk about, they don't want to think about, they don't want to make plans about, they don't want to do anything about, is death. Now, I know some of you are going, oh my gosh, you just dump a, you just dumped a bucket of water on us and put out all the, all the, the fire that we have. But death is not a subject most of us enjoy. Life and death, listen to me, they may be the extremes of our present human existence. But none of us were ever created to die. You realize that? Now, I hear it all the time from people, you know what? We, we're born and we die. Just like that's just natural. Can I just say this? Death is never natural. All right? It is the end result, but it's not natural. How many of you have ever been around a loved one or someone who's, who's passed away, who's died? Most people have. Now I realize there, there may be some that, that haven't. It's the most unnatural thing there is. It's, it's, just not, it's just not natural. And the reason is we were created not to die. We were created to live. Listen to what the, the Lord says in, in, in early in Genesis. He says, Then the Lord God formed the man. He formed the human being of dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And literally, he became a living being. Something that was alive breathed his life into something that was inanimate and not alive. Do do y'all realize something dead cannot create life? Life always begets life. That's just how it works. I don't care what they teach. In school, I don't care what the theories are uh, in higher education, but you can set a rock on the surface of a planet, and until Jesus comes back, that rock will always be a rock. It will never transform, evolve, become something alive. God begets life. Life begets life. Listen, by its very definition, death is the absence of life. It's the cessation of all life. And God didn't create you, and he didn't create me for death. And I want you to hear this. God didn't create death for you and me. You say, Nelson, that's the same thing. No, he didn't create you and me for death. He didn't create death to begin with. And he certainly didn't create it for us. Death doesn't exist in heaven. Do y'all, do y'all realize that? That's where you're going. Hang with me. Okay, just hang with me. I'm going to show you the goodness of God out of this subject. Listen, I don't believe that death is the will of God. It was never the will of God for His creation, for His creatures, for man and woman. It was never His will for them to die. It's not a part of the kingdom. It's foreign to life. 
And I, I want to say some things because as a pastor, having been around countless situation where death has occurred in a family. I have heard all kinds of things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All kinds of, of ways that we as human beings try to say something that will minister to somebody who's going through a death. The sad thing is we say some of the most unbiblical, I, I hesitate to say stupid, <laughs> but we do. We say stupid things. Because we've heard them. Can I just tell you, when you're in that situation on the other side, those things don't help. Even the truth doesn't help. You, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes people just need a hug. We're not going to answer why. And, and, and I'm just going to stay away from what people say, okay, because that's not my, my, my point. But uh, I do want to say this. Death, there's nothing beautiful about death. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing enticing about it. Listen, I know because I have, I've, I've, I've been with people. I've, 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 I've had that take place in my own family. Sometimes, man, life becomes a, a chore, and it's tough. And sometimes, I'm not going to say it's true, but for that individual, death becomes a way out of the suffering. I, I just don't, I don't know that because I've never been in that spot personally. All right? I just know God created us to live. I have watched people who shouldn't be alive continue to fight and fight and fight for that last breath. There's something in us that doesn't want to die. And the reason is we were created not to die. It's not beautiful. It's not good. It's not enticing. Listen, death erases everything that is beautiful. De death, it destroys all that's good and, and it has nothing enticing to offer. It's the result of, of, of the human choice to disobey God. You do realize that. The scripture says, and you're going to get a lot of scripture today. Uh, Tom and I have a uh, a thing that we go back and forth with and he compares me to another pastor that comes to preach here whenever I'm away and, and he said he asked me was this my outline or was it his outline I said well it's mine he says man you got plenty of scripture today well when you don't know very much about the subject it's always wiser to let God speak amen okay well here's what here's what God told Adam he said but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat, you shall surely die. I was reading something this week uh, about uh, male uh, men and women and, and, and their service to God. And it's interesting. God tells Adam four or five times this. He doesn't tell Eve this. He tells Adam this. Adam was responsible for what he did. And he did it knowingly. He chose to disobey God. And that's why death comes onto the scene. Because when we disobey God, it brings death. It brings the cessation of life. And ultimately, it brought the cessation of his life and Eve's life. And every person who has lived since then
Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says that for since by man came death. That's where it came from. By us. Death is, it came from us. But death is also the ultimate wage of sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Wages are what we get paid for our labor. And the reality of it is we've all labored in sin. That's what we deserve. When, when, you, when you hire on, you, you deserve the wage you hired on for it. And we've hired on very often to sin as a taskmaster. That's not our friend, though. It's, not our, it's our enemy. Paul says that the last enemy that's going to be abolished, that's going to be done away with, is death. Death is not a friend. I, I hear that said in, in lots of different ways. They don't say death is my friend, but they'll say things that make you think that they think that. Listen, Scripture says death is our enemy. It's the last enemy. It's not just our enemy. It's the enemy of God. And Jesus, Jesus is very, very clear. And that's who we've been looking at for the last few weeks and who we're going we're gonna to camp out with for a few minutes here in a minute. But Jesus says this in John 10.10. 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, there's a, there's a contrast here. Jesus says, I came that they might have life. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I come that they might have life. And they might have it abundantly. In other words, they might have an abundance of it. For us to really grasp how, God good, how good God is, we have to understand God's heart toward those who are threatened by death. And, and I don't know if you realize it or not, but that's pretty universal. That's, that's all of us. How many of you realize you, you're, you're more threatened by death than you've ever been? When you're young, you don't think about it. As you get older, you realize, my days are numbered. I, I, I say this every once to Kathy. I, 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 she doesn't like it when I say it, but it's It's reality. I'm not in the first quarter anymore, the second quarter, or the third quarter. I'm in the fourth quarter. Now, the fourth quarter may extend into overtime. I don't know what the end of it is, but the reality of it is I'm in the fourth quarter. Just based on percentages and numbers, uh, length of life in my family, length of life with the people I'm around, length of life in this nation. You know, I realize that. But we need to understand God's heart toward us. Listen, when you look at Jesus, you see the heart of God. You see that goodness played out. We're going to look at that this morning by looking at some of the revelation Jesus gives us about what God thinks about death. Okay. Very often, uh, whenever I, I do a, a funeral service, I'll use a, a passage out of Psalms. Uh, sometimes, and it, it's it, 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 that, and I'm not going to be able to quote it right now for the life of me. But uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly one. Those moments are precious to God. They're precious to God. But what does what's God's heart toward death? And we're going to look at Jesus here this morning, just for a few minutes. Here's something that that I don't know if you've ever thought about, but we don't have a biblical account 
of Jesus ever attending or participating in a funeral service. We don't have Jesus mourning, going through mourning. We don't have Jesus as a part of a, a family or a crowd or, or joining in any way in the rituals of burial. Now, I know some of you are going, but wait a minute, there's that widow of Nain thing. Hang on, we'll get that. Jesus never, as far as we know, attended a funeral. He may have. We just don't have a record of it, okay? We don't have any, any teaching on what we're supposed to do at funerals. Jesus didn't teach us anything. And so uh, there's a reason, and I believe that, that Jesus gave us the reason very clearly in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness not, does not comprehend it. That word comprehend can mean many different things. The, the, the Greek idea is that the darkness cannot overpower it. That's the idea. Doesn't it? it doesn't recognize it. It can't overpower it. Just try as hard as you can. Whenever you put light in the midst of darkness, that light can be seen for a long, long way. And here is the light of the world. And he comes into the darkest place in the universe. And he was evident. And he was the light. Here's the reality. Light and death can't, or life and death can't reign in the same locale. They, they, when Jesus was present... Life was present. Now, I'm not saying people didn't die when Jesus was here on this earth. They did. They died probably at the, in the same number. There was a handful, though, that didn't stay dead. Okay? And we know about that. There, there was likely more. But, but as, as Jesus walks, death has to flee. It, it can't stay in the same room with him. It can't stay in the same place with him. Whether it's, it's, it's dying in the body, that death in the body that makes us sick, or it's that death in the soul that makes us sick, or death in the spirit. It, it, had to, it had to go. It didn't have the power to overcome the life that he brought with him. That life was, was a kingdom quality of life. It was a heavenly kind of life. It was a, let me say it this way. It was a God kind of life. The same kind of life that God breathed into Adam. The same kind of life that, that when you were born again, the Spirit of God placed in you. Jesus was real clear when he spoke, and, and we sang this a few minutes ago. And, and, and Billy talked about this a few minutes ago. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He never says, I am a way, a truth, a life. He says, I am the. In other words, there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. And if you don't have this life, you don't have life. That's what Jesus is saying. And as you study the Gospels, you find Jesus encountering death. We see it four different occasions, at least four that I'm familiar with. We see it, uh, he confronts the death of a little girl. We're going to look at that. He confronts the death of a, a young man. Now, we don't know how old this young man was, but he's probably on, the, on the, uh, the end of 20 or so. We see him confront death of, a, of, of an adult, uh, an, uh, one that's a little older. And then we can see him confront his own death by crucifixion. So what does the goodness of God toward death look like? 
Well, let's just look for a few minutes at Jesus. We're going to walk through each of these occasions just very quickly. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time. I'm not going to read a bunch of passages. Probably everybody in here that, that has read their Bible very much or has gone to Sunday school has heard these stories. In Mark chapter 5, Mark is probably... Uh, biblical writers and, and theologians believe that, that the, the gospel of Mark is probably uh, the oldest gospel. It's probably the one that Matthew and Luke drew from. They call those three the synoptic gospels. They, they have basically the same stories. And, and Mark is, is very likely, it was probably penned by John Mark and it was probably dictated by Peter. He had an eyewitness view of it. But Jesus in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is asked by a man. His name is Jairus. Uh, Jairus is one of the rulers of the local synagogue. He, he's one of the officials. And he comes to Jesus. He, he pushes his way through the crowd. He comes to Jesus and, he, and he, he basically he pours his heart out to Jesus. Jesus, my little girl is dying. Will you come? His little girl is at the point of death. And, and what we see in, in that encounter is Jesus doesn't offer any pious platitudes, okay? He, he doesn't make any statements or any excuses. He doesn't say, there's a time to live, Jairus, and there's a time to die. He didn't say that. And he, he doesn't give any, any uh, explanation of, of what might be happening or, or what kind of sickness is involved. Jesus simply moves in compassion. He heads toward that house. Now, if you know the story, uh, he's interrupted by uh, a woman with a hemorrhage of blood, and we don't know how long this took, but in the, in the process, that little girl dies. And so uh, Jesus is headed toward that house, and he acts with compassion. He acts according to his nature, because in the kingdom there's no death, and the king is there. Okay? He, he's there. He, he's, he's, he's connected all of a sudden by a relationship with this daddy. But before they can get to the house, that little girl dies. And so when we look at this and we kind of take a step back, that individual, that little girl, has probably been dead for an hour or so. Not very long, okay? It, it's, it's, I mean, it's fresh. But in those moments, what's happened is there's been a cessation of life. Death claimed that little girl in that moment. And that father's life begins to unravel. Okay? It, some of you know what I'm talking about here. Some of you have experienced the death of a child. I haven't. But I've experienced the death of loved ones. And I know what it's like in that moment when you hear that news. And yet, he doesn't fall apart. Jesus just tells him. Listen, if you believe, you'll see. Just hang in there with me. And so Jairus continues to follow him. But you've you got to think in his mind, uh, his faith has is, is got a pillow on its face, okay? He's starting to get smothered out because those emotions are beginning to boil up. I don't care who you are. Unless you're already dead, there's some emotions when you lose somebody you love. People may not see them, but they're there, Okay? And so this father, he, 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 he's, he, all his hopes and all his dreams for his little girl, they start to 
evaporate. I mean, he's got to be coming apart. And Jesus just, he just responds to him. He says, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. In other words, just keep on believing. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. And so Jesus takes Jairus and he takes Peter and James and John. And there's a crowd everywhere. He just, he leaves the crowd. He goes to the house. They're already in mourning. I mean, they've already got the, 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 more, the hired mourners there. They're already wailing. And listen, if you've never heard a wail before, okay, I hope you never do. But that's already going on. And he walks into that, that situation you know the story he tells them. He said, she's not, de- she's not dead. She's just asleep. Well, sleep's a euphemism for dead, okay? What Jesus is saying is, you think she's dead and gone. She's dead, but she's not gone. I'm here. What happened? They laughed at him. Okay? They laughed at him. And so Jesus enters that room where that lifeless child's laid, and he takes her by the hand, life touches death. And guess who has to run? Death. Death has to flee. It can't stand in the presence of life. And Jesus just says this. It's very simple. He says, little girl. Doesn't even call her by name. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise, get up. That's what he said. Little girl, get up. And what happens? She gets up. She gets up. The life of Jesus flowed back into her. It was almost a picture. I mean, I, 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 I try to make, I want to make this as simple as I can, but it's almost like you sticking jumper cables on a battery. That's dead. And the battery cranks. All of a sudden, this little girl who has no more life in her is alive again. She gets up. She starts to walk. And what happens is a resurrection takes place. There's not going to be a funeral at this house today. There's not going to be a commotion of sorrow, but there's going to be a celebration of life. I always love this because you see it in, a, in another place. Jesus says, give her something to eat. I, I like to eat. Obviously, Jesus did too. I don't know why he said that. I don't even have a, a conjecture. But all of a sudden, here's this little girl been dead for a few minutes. Jesus raises her from the dead. Life touches death. That's God's heart toward us. In Luke chapter 7, there's another story. Luke chapter 11 specifically, uh, verse 11 through 17. Uh, Jesus is, if you read the, the text, Jesus is, is moving through that part of Israel. And he's preaching and teaching the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. And, and that there's a huge crowd following him. He's not going to this, this city so much to do what he does as he is he's going to this city to share the gospel. And this crowd is following because they want to see another miracle. They want to see something amazing happen. And so when he, this, this great crowd meets this little funeral possession. And in my mind, here's what I see. When I was a kid and a teenager, 
whenever there was a hearse went down the highway, I don't care if it was four lanes, every car pulled off. We lost something. Okay. Every car pulled off and that, that procession came through. That's sort of what happens here. Jesus and his procession of life meet this little widow lady and her procession of death. They're headed to the cemetery. She's just coming out of the city of Nain. They're, they're going uh, to the cemetery. It's a, it's a procession for a young man. Uh, and scripture tells us it's the son of a widowed mother. And that he's died. And he, he, he didn't die a day or two ago. He died this day. Okay, because in that day, they buried on the same day. They didn't have the, 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 the embalming abilities and, and a lot of other things that, that we have. And so whenever a person died, they were typically buried that very same day. And so that's what's going. And, and this group of individuals, I guess we could call them pallbearers, they're, they're burying the pall. They're carrying the, 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 the coffin. And Jesus comes face to face with this grief-stricken mother. And I could go into a long dissertation here about widows, but here's the reality. A widow who had no family had no means of surviving. So she's basically a dead woman walking. Okay, They, they didn't have a s- social services. Uh, typically, uh, you know, her husband is obviously gone because she is a what? A widow. So now her means of surviving is gone because her son's died. If you study the book of Ruth, you see that in Naomi. It's the same story. It played out over and over and over. And typically what happened, if there, if there was no family, this person would, would lose eventually everything they had. And they would exist on the, on the fringes of society until they passed away, until they died. And usually it was a very tragic death. And so this widow is, she's beside herself because she's lost the child that she loves, the child that she's given birth to, the child that's hers, all she has left. And Jesus comes face to face with her. And he reveals the heart of God to us in that confrontation. It's it's both a physical response and it's an emotional response as as he encounters this death head on. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 13 through 15. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. There was something that happened within him. We're going to see that in the next account. We're going to see exactly what it was because I think this was something that Jesus felt every time he saw death. It will surprise you. He felt compassion for her. That word compassion means to suffer with. He didn't feel pity. He felt compassion. It, it caused him to suffer. And he says, he says, it says this. He says he felt compassion for her and he said to her, do not weep. Do not weep. And he came up and he, he, did, he touches the coffin. Puts his hand on the coffin. And when he puts his hand on the coffin, that procession comes to a halt. It, it says that the, the bearers came to a halt. They stopped dead in their tracks. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise, get up. 
And it's interesting. It, in our translations, we, we translate it the dead man. In the Greek, it, it says this, and the corpse sat up. You may say, well, Nelson, I liked it better with just dead man. Well, the Bible is trying to be very specific here. That man who was dead set up. And this is probably not good English, but he ain't dead no more. Okay? He's, he's not dead any longer. And, and I love the last sentence in this passage. It says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. You see, Jesus didn't just have pity and, 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 and sympathy and, and, and you know, wave his hand over her head and, and say, hey, God needed him more than you did. He didn't say, you know what, he's, he's, he's a little angel now. He just didn't say things like that. He changed the whole situation, and he gave her back to his mother. And listen, that resurrection was done in the face of a huge crowd. They'd never seen anything like that. The word, it went, it spread. And, and, and the, this funeral procession turns into a celebration of, of the miraculous. And you know what happens? Fear falls on the whole bunch. And by fear, I don't mean, oh my gosh. It, it's like, oh gosh. It's like, let's get down on the ground. This is different than anything we've ever seen. After this resurrection, this is just a side note, but I, I just I find it interesting. After this resurrection, John the Baptist is in prison. Okay, you know he's been arrested. Herod's arrested him. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's probably not going to be good. We know that uh, he's going to he's going to be executed. So John's in he's in prison. He doesn't see any way out. He pretty well knows what's going to happen. And, and his faith begins to waver a little bit. Because he's not sure, all of a sudden, that Jesus is exactly who he thought he was. All right? Can I just say this? Jesus says, of men, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty. And even the greatest struggles. So stop beating yourself up if you struggle a little bit every once in a while. God understands that. And so John sends one of his disciples and, and he, 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 he tells him, he says, go find out if, if he is the Messiah or not. And Jesus doesn't say yes or no. He just responds to that encounter with John with this word. And he does it in Luke chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. He says, go report to John what you've seen. And what you've heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. In other words, John, open your eyes up wide. Don't stumble over this. Don't miss this. You're right where you need to be. Everything's just exactly what you preached. And it's going to happen. And so this, 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 these resurrections and all these other things begin to just, they, sp they spread out over Israel. People begin to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. By the way, that's why the religious world killed him. 
Because everything the Messiah was, was supposed to do that Scripture said would happen, they were seeing it with their own eyes. The problem was he didn't look like the Messiah that they wanted. He was the Messiah that Scripture promised. He was the Messiah that God sent, but he didn't look right. And what Jesus is showing us in this is he's showing us the compassion of God. He's showing us the love of God for people. Listen, he loves us when we're discouraged. Okay? He, he, he cares. Now, the third encounter that Jesus has with death occurs in John chapter 11. And it's one of, of, the, of the seven uh, miracles uh, the seven signs, as, as theologians would call it, that John uses to prove that Jesus is God. Okay, John doesn't have miracle after miracle after miracle in his book. He has seven. And he spends a long time on most of them. He spends almost a chapter, I think, on, on this particular one. And this is one that, that we're all familiar with. It's the story of Lazarus. Basically, Jesus is out preaching uh, near the, 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 the Jordan River. And word comes, by the way, Jerusalem is here, and the Jordan River is here. <laughs> and you can't get to either one of them quickly. It just takes a day or so, okay? If you're going from Jordan up to Jerusalem, it takes a, a, a little bit longer than from Jerusalem down to Jordan because it's downhill. It's uphill all the way from the Jordan. And so the word comes to Jesus, hey, your friend John is sick. The family sends word. Mary and Martha send Jesus' word. And, and, and so what happens is, <coughs> instead of hurrying, Jesus waits two more days. Now, you know, there are some things we just don't know, and that's one of them. Why did he wait? Why didn't he go? Didn't he care? I mean, I've, you, you just, all this kind of stuff falls in there. But instead of hurrying, Jesus waits two more days before he sets out for Bethany. Bethany is just outside Jerusalem. Just, just, just very short distance. And so by the time Jesus arrives at Bethany, by the time he gets to Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus has been dead not for a few minutes, not for a day, not for two days, not for three days, but four days. In fact, when Jesus got the message, Lazarus was already dead. And so what happens is, is he gets there, and the only reason that Jesus gives us for what's happening or for the amount of time he tarries is this. He says this in John chapter 11, verse 4. He says, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. Now, he didn't raise him up just a few minutes after he died. He didn't raise him up a few hours after he died. He raised him up four days after he died. You know why that's significant? Because the Jews believed after three days, the soul left the body and it did not return. If you go to Israel, you'll see holes on tombs. They're called soul holes. It was where the soul would escape out of. If you go to the, the, the garden tomb, that were, which is not the place Jesus rose from, but it looks just like the one the Bible talks about, you'll, you'll see one of those. You'll see that. You'll see those in the cemeteries. If, you, if you're standing on the Mount of Olives, you'll see those even in the little slab tombs that are there, the, they're modern tombs. 
And so Jesus waits until he's not just dead, he's dead, dead. And when Jesus arrived, Jesus, uh, Lazarus has been in that tomb for four days. His body has begun to decompose, to break down. And as he, he makes his way there, he encounters Mary. He encounters Martha. And they're distraught. I mean, they're, they're torn apart. They had seen Jesus do things that, were not, that was not possible, or they thought wasn't possible. You, you realize that, that impossible is, is, there's no such thing as impossible with God. I could go on with that, but I'm going to leave that one alone right there for a minute or two. And so what we see is we see the humanity of Jesus respond. We see the compassion of his heart for those that, that are left shattered after death has invaded their world. We see it. It's so evident. And, and John uses language like this. He says, He, Jesus, was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. That's John eleven thirty three. 33. In, in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. And then in John eleven thirty eight, it says, Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved from within. We, we see this, this process when he meets Martha and Mary. There's this, this, this reaction to sin. When they get to the tomb, there's another reaction to sin. I mean, to, to death. And, and it's, it's a violent reaction. And it's one of anger and it's one of sorrow of heart that arises within Jesus. You say, Nelson, how do you know that? Because the Bible just says he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Well, because the Greek text uses a word that describe, that was used to describe the snort of a war horse before it charged into battle to destroy its enemy. And, and when I talk about a war horse, I'm not talking about a Shetland pony, okay? I'm talking about one of those big suckers with feet about this big around that you can sit an armored soldier on. They look like Sherman tanks. I'm talking about like Clydesdale-sized horses, who've got nostrils about this big around, all right? And there's blood and there's noise and there's all kinds of death happening around them and that animal can sense that stuff and he knows what his job is and there's a soldier sitting astride of him and he's, have you ever heard of a horse that's angry snort? Some of you have. Some of you wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. You know he's mad. That's what Jesus does in here. He's, he, he is angry at what death has done to his friend. He, he's not just mad. He's snorting mad. Okay? He, he's, I mean, I, I don't want to go any farther than that because I don't want to freak some of y'all out. But, but it's almost, well, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just, he, he's, he's angry. He, 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 he's confronting the enemy. He's confronting death, the handiwork of the enemy. And with these words, he turns the Jewish world upside down. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I've been to what people believe is the tomb of Lazarus. All right? And you don't walk up to it, and there's a stone right here. But you go in it, and you go down about 25 feet because the city has been built. Over 2,000 years, layer after layer after layer. 
But you walk down in there, and there's not a, tomb, a, a big old stone that you roll back this way. There's a hole in the ground, and there's a stone over it, and you move that stone out. They've moved it over. And if you want to go back into the tomb, you drop down on your hands and knees, and you crawl through a space about like this for about five feet or so. Isn't it about, about, about five feet? It's not far. And then you come into this big room. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. Can I just tell you, he's bound up like this. Because why? How do you know that? Because Jesus tells the people that are outside there, loose him and let him go. So how did he get from in there, up through that little narrow cut in the rock, and up standing up? I'm going to leave that to you guys. But he didn't stay in there. He didn't stay in there. All of a sudden, this man who has been dead, there's nobody that doesn't know in Jerusalem what happened. In fact, the, 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 the religious leaders planned to kill Lazarus again because he was a living, walking, breathing testimony of the goodness of God. And there was no denying that this was a miracle that had never been done before. Now, ultimately, Jesus faces his own death. He's nailed to the cross. Nobody comes off the cross until they're dead. That's just the way it was. They don't put you up there, take you down, and send you on your way. When you went there, the next place you went was to the garbage dump. By the way, they didn't bury you. They just pitched your body into the garbage heap, and the wild animals took care of the rest of it. That's what happened to people that were crucified. So he is, he's facing death. He knows he's going to die. But it's here on the cross that death's going to be put to death. It's here on the cross that, that the death of Jesus puts to death death. You remember what Romans chapter 6.23 said? I said this earlier. The wages of sin is death. Death can only touch, it can only exercise its authority. And by the way, death is, is not some uh, uh, nebulous idea. Death is a spirit. All right? There's a death angel in the Old Testament. We see it several times. Death's a spirit. Death is a powerful spirit. Okay? And so Jesus, Jesus confronts that spirit on the, on the cross. It comes to collect What's due it? Except there's no sin in Jesus. So death can't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. Yes, they did, Nelson. They nailed him to the cross. Well, they may have. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Yes, they did, Nelson. They're the ones that condemned him and sent him to the Roman rulers. They didn't kill him. They didn't cause his death. If you study Scripture very clearly, Jesus chooses to die. In fact, in, in, in the last few words, he says, it says he gives up his spirit. He lets his spirit go. Well, how can he do that? Well, the Bible says this in John chapter 10, verse 17. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me. 
Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me. No one has taken it away from me. No one will kill me. I will lay it down on my own initiative. I will die when all Scripture prophecy has been fulfilled. And I won't die a second before. I will die in the moment that the Father was ordained. And I won't die a second before. And I won't live a minute longer. I will do it when everything is done and it's complete. That's what he's saying. I'll lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up. What happens on that cross is Jesus becomes our atonement. Now, so what is atonement? It means he pays the price for our sin. He becomes our propitiation. You say, Nelson, what is that? It's a big biblical word that just means he becomes our satisfaction. He satisfies God for the sin that we have committed. He doesn't die for his sins. He dies for our sins. Think about this. Have you ever been in line and somebody pushed you and it pushed you out of line? That's what Jesus did on the cross. He pushed you out of the line that should have gone to the cross and died. He pushed us out of the line. He chooses to die in our place even though he has no sin and death cannot rightfully touch him. He chooses to push us out of the way. He chooses to take our place. And by doing so, Jesus in just a few days will overcome death. Death thinks that it succeeded. Death thinks that it now has him in the grave. And we don't we don't teach a lot about this. We don't say a lot about this. But, but there wasn't this big, huge, defined afterlife experience for most of the people of biblical times. They didn't understand it. It gets revealed little by little until we come to Jesus' time. Jesus tells the story of, 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 of Sheol, of two compartments, that the, the wicked are here and the righteous are here. So there, we know there's, there's two places, but it's still the grave, whatever that looks like, okay? I don't know. Some people say, well, it's heaven. I don't know if it is or not. That's not what Scripture says. Because he leads those captives into freedom when he ascends into heaven. It's all in the Bible. I'm not cherry-picking and making stuff up. It's all there. And so what happens is, is Jesus, at the ultimate moment when he has paid for everything and every sin of every person who will ever live, when the last click has clicked on the gate and it's all paid for, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he says, it's finished. It's done. Paid for. And he dies. Most people that were crucified didn't die in three or four hours. That's why it's a holy day. They usually left them out there for four or five days, sometimes a week or two, maybe longer than that. There was a message being communicated to the people. Do this, and this is what happens to you. But we don't think about it. The Romans lined the streets 
of Palestine with crosses. This wasn't something that just happened to three or four people every once in a while. This was a daily thing almost. And so what happens is Jesus dies. Death encompasses him. Death doesn't kill him. Remember. But it encompasses him. To everybody that's watching, it looks like the same thing has happened to him that happens to everybody. Most of the disciples are hiding anyway. John probably was watching it. The women that followed Jesus were watching it. We know that Jesus is taken down. He's, he's, he's placed in a tomb, a, a borrowed tomb, uh, the, uh, the, the tomb of uh, Joseph of Arimathea. It's very close because by the time they take him down, uh, you know, he, he is, it is not long before sunset and the holy day begins. Uh, they didn't take him down, by the way. What happens is they came around to break the other, all the legs of those people because when they break your leg on the cross, you can't, your legs, you can no longer breathe. You're, you're, you're stuck like this and you suffocate. That's what happened to the other two thieves. When the soldier gets to Jesus, he recognizes that Jesus is dead. And just to make sure, Okay, because if you take somebody down that's still alive, you take that person's place. There's incentive for making sure. He just pops the sword right up into here, right into his heart. Scripture says that blood and water come out. There's that blood and water again. It's amazing how God ties all that together. When you said that, I, I jumped a little bit right in my spirit. He's dead. Okay. He's dead. He's dead. But you know what? Death had no power over Jesus. It couldn't kill him. So why did it think it could hold him in a place he's not supposed to be? Why did it think it could hold him in the grave? And so what happens, Jesus fulfills the requirements of God. He pays the price. And in doing so, he removes the deadly power that sin had. I mean, that, that death had because of sin. He removes that, that, that ability to keep people trapped in the darkness of death. Remember the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the shadow. He already realizes that someday this is not going to be it. It's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54 and 57 say. And, and to be honest with you, uh, Paul writes this by the, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but this could have been what Jesus shouted on resurrection morning. Okay? I, I, I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying it could have been because it's the Word of God and He is the Word. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you just if, if you take away all the Bibleese and all the Christianese, this is a taunt. This is, 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 is smack talk. 
Okay, if you want to, this is this is this is what athletes do when they're when they're lined up nose to nose. What they say they're going to do. Well, this athlete, his name's Jesus Christ, has already done it, and he says, "Where is your sting? Where is your victory?" And so what happens is death can't overwhelm Jesus. It can't extinguish the life. And the goodness of God raises Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11 says this to us, but it gives us a picture. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. You want to know what God thinks about death? It's a shadow. It, it just it, it, the darkness of it just casts a shadow on us. It's not the end. It's not the end. I, I want to be careful that I don't make it sound romantic and say it's the beginning of a new life, but it is the beginning of a new life. I, I don't I want to I don't want to, to fall into that group that makes stupid sayings, but here's the reality. It, 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 it's a moment. It's a shadow passes over you. And then all of a sudden, you know what? To be absent from the Lord, or to be absent from this life is to be present with the Lord. Specifically, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And here's, here's what blows me away. This is not in my notes, but it just came to me. God cares so much about you. So much that, that just having your soul and your spirit's not enough. He paid for all of it. He paid for this physical body. And one day, Scripture says, the sky, there's a trumpet gonna, and an angel's going to shout. And, and all of a sudden, the sky's going to break open. And what's going to happen? The Lord Jesus is going to return. And the dead in Christ, those who, whose bodies are in the grave, by the way, that's all that's there is the body, the house. This, this is what this is. This is not the end-all, be-all. I know you young people think it is. Man, you're young and strong, but just take my word for it. You better take care of it as much as you can because you're going to need most of it a lot longer than you think you are. And it's wearing out. But Jesus didn't just die for that soul and that spirit. He died for that body. And he is going to come and he's going to get it, and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, biblically speaking, there's going to be a transformation. And that fleshly body is going to become a resurrection body, a transformed body, an eternal body. I personally think it's going to look just like this. You're going to have ten fingers. You say, well, I don't have but." I don't have but eight right now. I know somebody right now is talking about parts of their body that's missing. That's right. You're going to have two of them again. They're going to look great. Some of you are thinking, man, I can't see anything. You'll be able to see. You say, what about my teeth? I don't think you're going to have caps or fillings. You're not going to limp. You're not going to have issues with your spine. It's going to be a resurrection. It's going to be a body like Jesus had. Like he has. Like he has. Why? Because God is not going to allow any remnant of death to spend eternity with us. In fact, Scripture says that death is cast into the lake of fire along with the devil and his angels. Which means God prepared it 
for the devil and his angels for death and the grave. Listen, there won't be any cemeteries in heaven. In fact, every time I do a funeral, I remind people, you know what? Look around you. What do you see? Well, you look around, you see these granite monuments. Sometimes it depends on which cemetery you're in. Some of them are very elaborate, very expensive, very big. You know what? God never intended the hillside to be littered with those things. They're not beautiful. They're just reminders. God never intended us to put flowers on a grave. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just a reminder. One of these days, all that stuff is gone. You know why? Because there's no death in heaven. There's no, there's no graveyards, no cemeteries in heaven. There, there's no sickness in heaven. That's what God thinks. And He gives us little pictures. Just encourage us. Just encourage us. Just encourage us. This isn't it. Don't give up. Just like He told Jairus. Don't give up. Don't, don't, don't worry. Stop worrying. Just follow me. Just follow Jesus. Listen, I know this is a tough subject. All right? I know that. Listen, I've just walked through this. Still walking through it. But you know what? That's not it. That's death trying to make its statement one more time and make me believe a lie. This is the truth. This is what Jesus would call the gospel. This is a part of the gospel of the kingdom. Folks, we can believe lies or we can believe the truth. But the reality is God is good. He's good. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.